On the resurrection morning When all the dead in Christ shall rise I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Raised in power, ready to live in paradise. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I'll have a new home. Glory, glory. With the redeemed of God. There'll be no more sorrow. No more pain. There'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of my sightness. Ready to live in glory. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Imperfection, youthful and happy I shall be I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Glorified with Him forever Death will be lost in victory I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life I'll have a new home Glory, glory With the redeemed Never said no more pain, there'll be no more strife Yes, raising the likeness of my sightness Ready to live, I'll be glad I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Eternal A hallelujah morning When the last trump of God shall sound Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life eternal Praise all bursting saints are shouting heavenly beauty all around I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life oh, yes. I'll have a new home glory, of glory, glory With reading the reading of God to stand no more pain, there'll be no more strife Yes, raising the likeness in of his likeness Ready to live I'll be glad I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life eternal. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be Welcome to the Passion for Christ show So glad to have you, friend Hey, I'm your host, Bruce Kessler, and I just want to let you know I'm part of the greatest movement ever, a follower of Jesus Christ, because you see, in Him alone, I find peace, joy, happiness. I am blessed beyond measure, more than I could ever deserve. My goal here is very simple. That is to encourage you, friend, along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Upcoming in our study segment, we're going to be talking about the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But before we get to that study, a few things along the way. And the first is Headline News. Well, now get this, friend. Get this. On Thursday, more than a month after a local gang abducted 17 missionaries in Haiti, the Ohio-based Christian Aid Ministries held another special day of prayer and fasting for their taken workers. The missionaries sent to Haiti through Christian Aid Ministries were kidnapped in October and uh, 
16 of the missionaries are American and one is Canadian. This is the 33rd day since our workers were kidnapped in Haiti. And so tomorrow, which was November the 18th, we plan to have another special day of prayer and fasting. We invite all believers all around the world to join us in seeking God for His mighty hand to work. We request ongoing prayers for those being held, the families of the hostages, government officials who are assisting, and kidnappers themselves. Great is our Lord, and of great power His understanding is infinite. Psalms 147 verse 5. Prayer request comes a week after an unnamed Biden administration official confirmed that at least some of the kidnapped missionaries are still alive. Mm, mm, mm. A video that was circulated social media by the gang's leader, Wilson Joseph, threatened to kill the missionaries if his ransom of $17 million was not met. He says basically that I swear by thunder that if I don't get what I'm asking for, I will put a bullet in the heads of these Americans. Mm, 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 folks, can you believe that? There even now, the State Department is asking and urging U.S. citizens to make plans to depart Haiti uh, as things are getting pretty, pretty rough over there. Get that, folks. Christian Aid Ministries holds another special day of prayer and fasting for kidnapped missionaries in Haiti. We need to be praying right alongside with them. What a situation indeed. Well, get this, friend. Get this. The Biden Department of Labor said on Wednesday that it won't enforce the administration's vaccine testing mandate while an appeals court decision against the rule is in effect. The announcement by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, is a major victory for opponents of the mandate, including for a group of faith-based organizations who are challenging the rule in federal court. The U.S. Fifth Court of Appeals last week placed a stay on the mandate, calling it a staggeringly overbroad policy that likely violates both the U.S. Constitution and federal law. Under the rule, employees with 100 or more workers must require their employees either to get vaccinated or though regular masking and weekly testing. Who, You know, there's just all kinds of questions about who's going to pay for all that. Well, it's not going to be the government. It's going to be the state or local people that's going to be paying for that. What a, what a crying shame, folks. Mm. OSHA, the... Uh, Announcement was celebrated by First Liberty Institution, which is representing the three faith-based organizations challenging the suit. OSHA rule is blatant government overreach, massively unconstitutional, and threatens the freedom of working Americans. As religious organizations, our clients cannot in good conscience force their own employees to violate their deeply held beliefs regarding vaccines. Scenes. There you go, folks. Isn't that stunning? 
Biden administration suspends vaccine mandate over court ruling, but legal battle is not over. Mm, mm, mm. Troubling times indeed here in America. Well, now you're not going to believe this one, and this one will probably get you all incensed. A Wisconsin couple has filed suit against their daughter's school district. Why? They allege that the principal and staff identified her as a transgender boy and even used a male name and pronouns over their parents' objections. Can you believe that? The lawsuit says their daughter changed her mind about transitioning when they pulled her out of school and when she had time to reflect on the situation. Mm, 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 mm. Alliance Defending Freedom is representing the father and mother in their state lawsuit against Kettle Moraine School District, which complaints say has a policy that allows students to socially transition to a different gender identity at school without parental consent and even over parents' objection. This action seeks to vindicate one of the most fundamental constitutional rights every parent holds dear, a right to raise their children. The controversy started when the couple's 12-year-old daughter began experiencing anxiety and depression and began questioning her gender, the suit says. She told school staff that she wanted to be identified by a male name and by male pronouns, although her parents objected, believing it would not be in their daughter's best interest. The principal then phoned the mother to inform her that Kettle Moran School District would not allow the parents' wishes, but instead would refer to her using whatever name and pronouns she wanted while at school, even over her parents' objection. The parents immediately withdrew their daughter from school. Her demeanor quickly began to change, and about two weeks later, she changed her mind about wanting to transition to a male identity, deciding instead that she wanted to continue using her birth name and female pronouns. The parents say they disagree with the approach to gender dysphoria used by the school and by society in general. Some mental health professionals believe that children experiencing gender dysphoria can learn to find comfort with their biological sex and therefore support psychotherapy to help identify and address underlying causes for the dysphoria. Furthermore, multitude of studies have found that the vast majority of children, roughly 80-90%, who experience gender dysphoria ultimately find comfort with their biological sex and cease experiencing gender dysphoria at age, as they age, assuming they do not transition. Can Let me ask you a question, folks. At age 12, do you really think, just think about when you were 12, do you really think that you had the decision-making Ability to decide to make such a transition in your life? Friends, this is just absolutely madness. 
and just plain craziness. Parents sue, sue school after it assists child's gender transition over their objections. Oh my, folks. The world has gone definitely mad. Crazy. Indeed. Let's pray, pray, pray. And that's our headline news for this broadcast. And now, this day in church history. On this day in 303 A.D., because his prisons are full, Diocletian offers amnesty to all Christians who will sacrifice to the Roman gods. In 870 A.D., martyrdom of Edmund, king of the East Angles, Danish invaders had offered him peace at the cost of renouncing Christ, but he refused, fighting to preserve his throne and his faith. Captured, he was tortured and murdered. In 1806, death of Isaac Bacchus, an influential Massachusetts Baptist leader, soul winner, and advocate of religious freedom. In 1850, on this day in church history, Francis Fanny J. Crosby becomes a Christian following a disconcerting dream in which a dying friend makes her promise to meet him in heaven. Attending a Methodist revival service, she seeks assurance at the altar, and she is flooded with joy and leaps up, shouting, Hallelujah! She will go on to write hundreds of beloved hymns, such as, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Mm -hmm. In 1870 on this day, church history, Amanda Smith, feeling dull, sees a vision saying, go preach. She becomes a well-known African-American evangelist who travels worldwide. And that's this day in church history. And now, folks, we have a little bit of fun. And name that Bible character. Okay, here is your clue. I am what John the Baptist called the Pharisees. What term am I? Here is your clue one more time. I am what John the Baptist called the Pharisees. What term am I? We'll reveal the final answer to that tantalizing clue following our study segment. So stay tuned, folks, for that exciting reveal and our final segment of 
Name that Bible character. Folks, get your cup of coffee, pull up a chair, cold drink, or whatever you like to have, and get your Bibles and open it up, and let's study the fantastic and powerful Word of God. Our topic for this study today and our broadcast is comparing the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. How do they... How do they function together? Sometimes we hear a lot of people put more emphasis on the Word. In fact, a lot of people say that the Holy Spirit doesn't even function today and it's just the Word of God or that the Spirit only works through the written Word. Or some will say that they are just moved by the Spirit itself and are free uh, are given freedom above legalism. So how does the Word and the Spirit function? Well, to get an idea about the answer to that question, let's read two similar passages. And the first is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. If you've got a pencil, pin down all these verses. First one is Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Let's read it together, friend. Verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So that's the first passage. And the other passage we want to compare is found in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 16. It tells us this, let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Can I get an amen for these two wonderful and powerful and dynamic passages? How does the Word of God and the Spirit function? So we just got through reading these parallel passages. These are very similar passages in what they say. And the real difference, real distinction is one says, to be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the other is a call to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So what is the writer trying to... These, the first thing to understand is that this is an intentional word use. Describing God's powerful work in our lives. So the implications of these two commands 
express similar thoughts. The Word of Christ, Scripture, is to be central in our lives, central to our everyday living, if we desire to be filled with or to please the Holy Spirit of God. It's really that simple. It's not very complicated. Now there is a purposeful intent of God to show us harmony between the Spirit and Word. Let's read some of these passages that show this. The first is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. It says this, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. That is stated in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Then Jesus states it this way in John 17, verse 17. He tells us this. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So here you have one passage that says that we're that sanctification comes by the Spirit and the other comes by the Word of God. Let's turn to John chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, which we talked about last broadcast. We were talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. John 3, verse 6 and 7 puts it like this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And, and, and then we have in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, we have this. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So here again, you have one that teaches us that to be, we are born again by the spirit. And the other says we are born again by the word of God. We must let the Bible answer and define its own terms. Jesus does just that. He ties the Spirit and the Word together. Let's go to John chapter 14 and verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 puts it like this. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen. Can I get an amen with that? Powerful passages indeed. And, and the implication is the Word of God is the weapon that the Spirit uses to direct the church and individual believers. Another scriptural comparison that is needed is found 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen? And then James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, puts it like this. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one is blessed, in what he does. So Paul on the one hand. Says that the operation. Of the work of the spirit. Is what gives us liberty. And James on the other hand says. It's the obedience to the law of God. That gives us liberty. Now we might begin to think. Uh, all this scriptural comparison. That there is conflict in scripture. But that's not the truth. He's talking about the powerful harmony that exists between the spirit and the word, between law and freedom, between law and liberty. And we might ask ourselves, how can the scriptures use these words so interchangeably? The word and the spirit, the attributes of the word and the spirit, and the effects of the word and the spirit in our lives. These are all describing the harmony between those two powerful and dynamic forces at work in our lives. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God working together to accomplishing great things for God. So how can the scriptures then use these words so interchangeably? Well, it's really the answer is simple enough. The Spirit is the author. The Spirit is the author. And the commandments that the Spirit gives that are written down is for our instruction. Second Peter chapter 1 and starting in verse 16 says this, For we did not follow cunning devised fables, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellence of glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We must be subject to those powerful Instructions and commands, the word of God, the guidelines found in the written word. Those are the relationships between those two. Powerful indeed, and it's an interesting study, folks. 
the comparison between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, it's powerful how wonderful it is, folks, that we can have these two forces at work in our lives, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, to enable us to live a righteous life, but also to live a life eternally with Jesus Christ one day. Amen, folks. Amen. And that's our study for this broadcast. And now, folks, we have the conclusion to name that Bible character. Here was your clue. I am what John the Baptist called the Pharisees. What term am I? Well, it was a generation of vipers, Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I am what John the Baptist called the Pharisees. What term am I? A generation of vipers. That's right, folks. In name that Bible character. Well, folks, you too can become a follower of Jesus Christ by submitting your life to Him in repentance and baptism. And you'll receive forgiveness of your sins. You'll be blessed beyond measure more than you ever deserve and receive a peace that passes all understanding. My goal here is very simple. That is to encourage you, friend, along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Visit our website, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com. Well, folks, I just want to tell you what a privilege and an honor it's been for me to have you walking along my side. May God bless you. Praise God. Praise God. Give thanks to the Father in all. In all that you say and do. Well, amen. Amen. Sing glory. Hallelujah. Christ the Lord has died for you. Praise God. Praise God. Give thanks to the Father in all. You say and do well, amen, amen. Sing glory, hallelujah. Christ the Lord has risen for you. Praise God. Praise God. Give thanks to the Father in all, in all that you say and do well, amen, amen. Sing glory, hallelujah. Christ the Lord is living for you. Praise God. Praise God. Give thanks to the Father in all, in all that you say and do well amen amen sing glory hallelujah christ the lord is coming for you christ the lord is coming for you christ the lord is coming for you